Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon. You're listening to Forgotten Hollywood with Doug Hess here on JLJ Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Forgotten Hollywood, your podcast of memories of yesteryear. My name is Doug Hess, and if you're tuning into Forgotten Hollywood for the first time, what I do on this podcast is take you on a journey back in time and share with you pieces of Hollywood that you may or may not know about. And in this episode, we have a very special guest guest with us today, uh, Miss Anthony Quinn. Catherine, welcome to Forgotten Hollywood. Thank you. Nice to nice to have be here with you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you with us and spending a few minutes of your uh, busy day to uh, kind of share the life of uh, Anthony's with us. And we were talking a little bit off off the air a little bit, and I think a lot of individuals know his movie career, but they may not be uh, as familiar with some of his other work that he has done in the arts, and that's with sculpture and painting and some writing, etc. And so really my first question is, where did this uh, journey or where did this inspiration for, for his love of art come from? Uh, that actually started before his love of acting. When he was a young boy, I don't know uh, if you've ever read his autobiography. Uh, his father uh, worked uh, when they first when they first got to Los Angeles, his father worked at a zoo and was called Zelig's Zoo. And Zelig's was uh, exclusively a zoo for uh, animals that were in used in films. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so his father worked there as a, kind of as a, as a uh, taking care of the animals and then learned to use a camera. You worked with the, some of the film people. And when Anthony was a young boy, uh, maybe four years old, he used to take him to the set and let him let him sit and be quiet and watch the filming. And uh, on uh, in order to keep him quiet, he'd give him a piece of paper and a pen and he would uh, and he would sketch little things. And he found that he was quite good at it. And he would sometimes sketch the actors that were in the movies and. Uh, the most famous of his was he, he sketched Douglas Fairbanks and uh, and then his father gave it to Douglas Fairbanks and, and uh, he received a check in the mail for twenty six dollars. And, uh, and his father was shocked because he never he didn't even make that much a week uh, working as a cameraman. So uh, I think as a young boy, that was probably very um, inspiring, but he loved to draw. I think um, he was naturally an observer of people and you can always, I I say it with my own children, you know, that you can see their character from the day they're born and it really doesn't change very much to their, you know, certain way. And he was, uh, he was a wonderful observer of people's faces and that was his way of capturing and remembering them. As he got older, he would sketch, um, 
you know, buildings and stores. And he thought he uh, wanted to be uh, an architect only because he said it was a little bit a notch down from being an artist. Being an artist for a career is quite, I mean, you have to be pretty good to be an artist as a right. career. So he thought, okay, well, maybe I can be an architect. And and he and he uh, drew uh, and entered a contest because his father died when he was 11 years old. And uh, in order to help the family uh, pay the bills, he would enter contests and win money and, and uh, you know, help support the family. And this one contest, he won uh, sculpturing uh, a bust of Abraham Lincoln, and he won $100. And then this uh, other contest was a drawing contest, and the prize was to study with Frank Lloyd Wright, to either meet him or have, a you know, uh, an internship with him. Right. And he won that. Uh, he, he drew, uh, I think it was a Ralph supermarket display case or something like that. And he went to meet Frank Lloyd Wright, but he was very, uh, I think he was 17 or 18 years old and didn't have any, really an experience in the world of interviewing or being with people. And Wright told him that he had a, a speech impediment sent him to a doctor, he got this operation and uh, uh, it was for being tongue tied. So you cut the piece underneath your tongue and it's called your frenulum. And then you have to go and take speech lessons in order to relearn to speak at that age. Side note, now that's a common thing that doctors do. They check that piece of skin and they do it when they're born. Yeah, now I I think I read somewhere where uh, uh, when he met uh, Wright, that didn't uh, he kind of encourage Anthony to kind of go into acting? Did, did I read that? You didn't encourage him to go a- into acting at first. So he, he encouraged him to go get, get his speech therapy, which he had to, um, he couldn't afford the lesson. So he bartered with the teacher. But then once he, once he got into uh, the, the lessons and he learned, uh, you know, to act and they put him in the play, and that he loved doing. Then, um, let's see, that was 1933. His first job as an actor, he got in 36. And then by 37, 1937, 38, he was offered a contract uh, at Paramount. I think it was Paramount. And he called Frank Lloyd Wright then, and he said, they're offering me a lot of money. They're going to pay, but I really want to be an, an architect. And, and Wright said, I'll never pay you that kind of money. Go be an, <laughs> go be an actor first, and you can always build houses later yeah so when he was on the uh, on the set would he draw and, and doodle a little bit uh, always. always yeah I think it was I think it was part and parcel to his becoming a becoming a character mm-hmm. uh, because he he was able to stay focused that way um, you know he used the drawing and and uh, later on in life he started carving on pieces of wood that he would find um, you know when he was on the set so he always he was rarely kind of socializing, hanging out, uh, you know, shooting the breeze with other actors. Either, either he was reading, playing chess, or drawing or carving. Um, but it was his way in between those long change set changes. Right. Um, right. Decompress and yeah, and stay focused. Stay focused. Yeah, uh, that's great. So, um, kind of going back to, to his art, what were some of the things, major influences? Was it people or buildings that you see in his artwork that people can find in his art? Oh, people. I think people are the primary. Uh, he did landscapes, but most of the time it was faces. Um, Faces of men, faces of women. I have a collection of his sketches, um, a couple of thousand sketches. And 
And uh, I think early on it was people, but then he he started getting into abstract. He would do, um, you know, very simple drawings and then color them in. And then his sculpture later on was very like that, like kind of um, angular. And, and he was envisioning these mo giant, uh, you know, landscape sculptures, iron sculptures. And he did do some work in iron later on when he had access and he had more money. Um, but initially, it was just like ideas for a sculpture, and some of them are very colorful and beautiful, uh, others very simple line drawings, and he, he considered them doodles. I, I really looked at them as his brain on paper because you could really see somebody's talent from, you know, sure. that simple drawing, and, um, and he learned he was inspired. His inspiration was other artists, too, because he never, ever got to finish high school. Right. He would, but I have over ten thousand books, and most of them were his collection, because he he was so self-taught in every area of um, of his life. So um, he collected art books, and he didn't just collect them to keep on the shelves. He collected right. them to study them. Same thing when he started collecting art. He studied other sculptors, how, you know, how the technique and, and the, the patina and the colors and the brushes of, you know, the different paints and what types of paints and how to get certain textures and, and layers. And he only did that by, by just collecting other art and looking through books and marking pages, you know, things that he, that he liked. Um, so really so. self-taught uh, in, in terms of that and had a passion and really went after it. And yeah, pretty much. You know what he did well? He met people who he, he met people who were talented and uh -huh. he picked their brain. Ah. He would pick their brain and he would hang out with people who just, you know, if he loved an artist and he met, uh, if he loved their work, he would just hang out with them and, you know, ask. He had no shame in asking for <laughs> lessons or teach me how to do that or teach me how to use a brush properly. And, uh -huh. and, uh, and so. that, that constant uh, wanting to learn and, and take yeah. to oh, the constant curiosity. It was like he died when he was 86 years old and he was like that you know, until his, until his last months, you know, just wanting to, never thought he had achieved, you know, the top of his game. He always wanted to, he said, I have so much more to do, so much more to, uh, to accomplish. Wow. Which so is great, you know, when you're that age and have yeah. done as many things as he did to say, I still have so much more to accomplish. It's pretty incredible. Uh, yes. Cause most people would say if I was 86 and did as half of the stuff he did, I would have been very successful and he was still, there's more to do. Yeah. Believe me, I show people his work all the time because it's part of, I, I started a foundation, you know, uh, uh -huh. and, and, uh, and I show, I, I give people tours and, and show them his work and they, most of them go back and say, Oh my God, now I've got to go and paint something or sculpt because I, I you know, somebody, a forgotten talent that they had when they were children saying, I'm going to go and, and get to work. <laughs> but and he's still inspiring others all these years later. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. is really uh, uh, cool. So you talked a little bit about the foundation and, and also a little bit. Uh, so can you kind of share a little bit more about the foundation and, and what that foundation does? Yeah, we started. Uh, I, I really was looking for he loved to, he loved to to inspire young children because he thought they had the most hope because they didn't they weren't they weren't poisoned poisoned by uh, you know too much too much <laughs> right 
and society they were you know and and so he constantly was uh, looking at children's work and and how and jealous too how free they were at a young age because he he had this uh, he once wrote the introduction to a, a book called 10 who dared I found it by accident one day. I'm looking at what, what is this book? And he wrote the intro. And and uh, in the book, he says, as we get older in life, daring becomes the um, daring. When you're younger, daring is a way of life in the mm-hmm. playground, in school, everything. Right. It's a game of I dare you. And, and, uh, and you're very bold. And as you get older, the daring gets less and less and less and we become more safe. And right. so his his idea was, you know, to be we have to continue that daring throughout our lives. Otherwise, you just kind of get, you know, you finish, right. you stop growing. And and I think he always um, I mean, he had enough children. So, you know, he had <laughs> 13 and two, two of my, you know, uh, our uh-huh. children together were uh, very young. And um, and so being around them and when I started the foundation, I. I knew I saw my own kids going into their teenage years and their creativity kind of getting squashed by exactly what he right. you know, suspected yes. would happen. Yes. And I thought if we're going to help anybody, we should uh, help that age teenage kids who are, you know, struggling to stay with their artistic uh, talent. And so we started we designed this um, competitive scholarship program and the kids applied to go to different um, summer intensives because you know, I don't know if you remember when you're in high school, but you're in a, with a group of kids who probably, you know, just because you share the same zip code, you're in the school, right. not because you share anything in common. Right, and absolutely. So going away, sometimes getting out of that environment for a few weeks in the summer can totally be transformative. And you say, oh, there's my, my tribe's out there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> right, absolutely. <laughs> and allow you to experience something that you've never experienced before or, um, and just like you said, kind of open up your eyes and go, wow, I can do this. Or there's other things out there other than, like you said, what's in the zip code. Right. And sometimes the opposite, where you're with a bunch of uh, people who are so talented and you say, that's not for me, you know. Right. Yeah. Or, but then but then even that is a good thing, because then you're just kind of going off into a different branch. Doesn't mean you have to cut your talent off. Maybe you're you discover something new, uh, you know, that's. In the realm of your, you know, your, and there's so much out there now. That oh, abs- absolutely. You know, it's one of those things that order you get if, if I would have known. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, 20 years ago, what I know now, what would I be doing? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, and, and uh, maybe having a little bit better exposure when I'm younger could have opened up other opportunities. Who knows, Exactly. Right? Exactly. Who yeah, knows exactly. in terms of that? Well, you know, we you talked about uh, some of his artwork, et cetera, but is there a place that uh, the public can view some of his artwork? Well, I mean, I uh, after he died, I, I did not uh, attach myself to a, one gallery because that's very hard to do. Uh, sure. with, uh, I mean, the art world is, is uh, especially the gallery world, the art world is, is challenging because then you get stuck with one place. They want you to be exclusive. And um, I started doing exhibitions in different places. Oh, okay. 
of his work and the work that he collected because it kind of you could see the relationship between what he studied and so this yeah. self-taught person. So I, I have a website, anthonyquinn.com, that has a lot of images of his artwork, not everything. Not everything. Um, and and uh, there are, do, if you, if you, oh, I, 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 I hear an echo all of a sudden. Do you hear that? It's hear that? I, now that you mention it, I do. <laughs> Um, is that, is that on my end? Let's see if I can fix it on my end here. Is that a little better? Um, yeah, I don't hear it now. Yeah. Much, much better. <laughs> I, I hate hearing my own, the sound of my own voice. So I start to get really distracted. <laughs> um, so what, where was I? Where was I? I forgot. Oh, you're just talking about art, his artwork and if the public can view it. Oh, yeah. So if we go on my website and we, if we have any shows coming up, I usually, uh, I, I usually say right now the next, the next thing I have coming up is going to be a small show in Newport, Rhode Island, where I live. In, I live in Rhode Island, and um, there'll be a, sh a show in Newport. But I'll, I usually try to keep keep up on the website what we're doing and, and where we're going. But right now, there's no public gallery space where okay. you can see it. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit to um, his, his movie career now, uh, did he have any favorite movies or, or any films that maybe he kind of regretted or wish he hadn't have taken? I don't, think, I don't think he regretted anything. If he did, he tried not to. He tried to learn from everything he did, even if it was, uh, even if he felt it was a mistake. Usually, um, you know, he felt that every movie Every movie was such a, a, a collaboration between so many people that that for the, to, for it to work because it could be an amazing story and then just sure. be a disaster as a film, right. as we, we've all seen. And yes. so when when things clicked, it, it was magic. I, and I could think of a few films, you know, like Zorba, uh -huh. like Lawrence of Arabia, like uh, you know, Requiem for Heavyweight. Um, that that everything just fell into place and the characters were right and and um, like Zorba Zorba uh, the the actress that that uh, Leela Kadrova who was the the old lady mm -hmm. she wasn't wasn't supposed to be her it was supposed to be a, a famous French actress uh, Simone Signoret. and oh, they were filming and uh, and they started filming and she just she said she couldn't play the part. She she dropped out because she didn't want to play an old lady or, or kind of a, a washed up uh, woman like that right. woman is in the in the film. And so they desperately were searching for another. And, the, and it was the director who said, I know this French actress. Well, it turned out she was magical. I mean, that the combination. So, so uh, and the director, so I don't know, it's just a combination of people. Obviously he brought to it, he always brought to every part, whether it was small, large, you know, um, he brought the same intensity. He would study a character, uh, absorb and try to absorb the character until it almost became inextricable with himself. And and a lot of times that was tough for him because he he couldn't start the film until he really felt like he was that that character. Yeah. And uh, and a couple of times, like he was doing, um, he was doing um, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, and he was in, in Paris, and he got a, a skin disease, like eczema, really bad. And they said, Jesus, you know, we can't film. How can we film with right. things like that? 
And they went through weeks where they had to stop filming and they were about to just get rid of him. And, uh, and they sent him to, uh, to, they had sent him to all kinds of dermatologists who nobody could cure him. And then they sent him to this one guy who was like a, you know, like, um, naturopath. And he said, you know, and he psychoanalyzed him and he said, of course, your, your skin is doing that. You're playing a monster and you're becoming the monster. And so just go wash with this water. You now, you know what it feels like to be a monster go and it, and it went away within days and they started filming. That's how intense he was because that happened to him multiple times on films that he, he just kind of got too engrossed physically manifested some something about the character or saw their ghost or heard their ghost like in lust for life he heard the you know the ghost of Gauguin was telling him he was holding the brush wrong and he couldn't paint and the director Vincent Minnelli kept telling him Tony what what's going on why aren't you painting and he said because he's telling me I'm holding the brush wrong and he said who's telling you he said Gauguin he said oh he's here with us and he said good and he says what do you want me to do and he says (laughs) hold the brush the way he's telling you to hold it. <laughs> so he said, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's what he definitely, I believe I was talking to my son about this the other day and I said, I think uh-huh. he had a channel, you know, he had a channel with the other world because he definitely was tu- you know, tuned in and, and, and could communicate, you know, with the, no, for me, I've got two favorite movies. Uh, one is The Shoes of the Fisherman. I think he just really uh, made you believe he was he was the Pope uh, in that. I thought that was a great film. And then um, I think it was 1991. He was in the uh, movie Mobsters. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- those are two um, two of my favorite movies uh, of his uh, in, in terms of that. And I think both of them. He just really, as you were talking about, you could feel that he was that part. Yeah. Did you ever see uh, The Secret of Santa Vittoria? I can't say that I have, no. So so watch that film um, one of these days because he's, uh, he's it's funny. It's a, mm-hmm. an amusing film and it's based on a, you know, sort of a true story. And he and Anna Magnani are perfect in that movie. Uh, they're absolutely, it's, it's, it's one of my favorites. It shows that he's, you know, he can he can be funny. I mean, he was funny at times in Zorba too, but but he did have a great sense of humor and a, an, a, an amazing um, sense of groundedness. He was not like he didn't have any of the airs of a Hollywood star. Really loved to just. Um, that's why we ended up living in Rhode Island. He just wanted to be somewhere where he could go bicycle riding with the kids and walk on the beach and just work and not, not be part of the, the social uh, right. every single day, you know, having to compete for who's sitting at the better table, who's got right. their face on the front page of a magazine. You know, he didn't want to do that anymore. We got enough, we got enough magazine pages. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need another one, right? No, we didn't want that. Oh, that's great. Well, um, I, I know we're running short here on time, but just a, a little bit, uh, a few more questions is, um, what are some of your uh, memories, so lasting memories? I think my my most famous or favorite memories of are really of him playing with the kids. The way I, I watch, sometimes I watch some of our home videos and, and can hardly believe he was, you know, 83. Three, 84 years old, you know, laying on the floor playing, pretending he was a bull with my son who, you know, who pretended he was the matador 
or, you know, the, the miles long walks that we used to take in the woods, you know, he went, he always mm-hmm. went with a pair of clippers and, mm-hmm. uh, and wanted to make his own path. So we're walking through brambles through the woods and, you know, with two kids and mosquitoes, but he wanted to not go on the road, just walk through the, through the woods. Um, you know, picking things up, his laughter was unbelievable when he was, when he was happy uh, and, and mm-hmm. laughed, it was, a a wholehearted full body laugh and and that he was just that he right to the end may just remain such a such a human being who um, I love when people tell me stories about having met him and being surprised that he was just so you know just such a a down-to-earth person and I, I think it was his artwork that kept him that way because I think you can you know see yourself on a big screen and right and, and think but just Nature, nature always humbled him. He loved the trees and the flowers and, and hanging out outside and going, taking the kids sledding and doing all kinds of fun stuff like fun that. Things. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, that, that's great. Uh, never, never a boring day with him. Never. Either he was writing or painting or walking or sculpting or making a movie or, and, and it was just head spinning how he was hard to keep up with. <laughs> Really. He had a lot of balls in the air and could keep them up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very spontaneous. Very spontaneous, too. Sorry, that's, that's my son oh, calling me. Um, that's he's right. very, very spontaneous, too. And and so to the point where I would say, uh, you know, 10 in the morning, what do you think we're going to have for dinner tonight? Because I would cook every night and I'd uh-huh. want to take something out to be defrosted. He said, how the hell am I supposed to know at 10 in the morning what I want for dinner? <laughs> So we'd be stuck at four trying to do frost steak or, you know, fish or something because he decides, uh, you know, late in the afternoon. But, uh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's great. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for uh, being on Forgotten Hollywood and, and sharing uh, some stories about um, your Thank husband. you, Doug. Thanks. It was fun. I, it has been fun. And uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to this episode of Forgotten Hollywood. Just search for Doug Hess or Forgotten Hollywood. You can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at HessDoug14. If you listen to this podcast on iTunes or another podcast service, please subscribe, rate, and review this episode. Tune in next week for the latest episode of Forgotten Hollywood. Thank you for listening, and we will see you then. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.